Hello and welcome to this week's French Football Weekly podcast. Uh, a little bit delayed. We're coming to you on a Thursday for a change. Why not? Let's change things up. Uh, I am your host, Chris. I have been absent without leave for a couple of weeks. My humble apologies. Life calls. Uh, I have to answer, I'm afraid. But I'm back this week and I've got three, three uh, pundits with me tonight. Uh, first of all, it's Phil on the buttons. Hello, Phil. Hello. And it's uh, CNN's finest, Jez Smith. Hello, Jez. Hello. <laughs> and welcome back to uh, my new favourite, new person. It's Connor. Hello, Connor. Hi, Chris. Uh, good evening to you all. Right. Um, we're going to kind of split the pod into tonight. We'll talk a little bit of international stuff and then we'll have a look at the weekend's French League action, which, of course, returns on uh, Friday or tomorrow, of course, as, it, as we are recording on the Thursday. So, uh, Jess, let me start with you, um, France. Let's talk the national team. Um, fair to say a weekend national team uh, went to play its final, yeah, what's it called? Nations League, that's it, uh, game against Holland, uh, or the Netherlands, whichever you prefer. A 2-0 defeat. Fair to say, barring Lloris, it could have been quite a few more. Um, as I said, there were players missing. Um, two questions, really. What did you make of the performance? And uh, more importantly, do you care? Um, I'll answer the second bit first. <laughs> with a very vague answer, which is yes and no. Um, it's, I, I do think the Nations League has been good in general in terms of um, just a bit more interest, a bit more com- competi- competitivity. But at the same time, uh, I don't think it's, you know, as you said off there, it's great for teams like England who've actually got a semblance of a, some kind of um, victory for once. But it's not giving teams that much of an opportunity to experiment, to bed in new players, um, to, uh, you know, even have a bit of a post-major tournament hangover. Um, so part of me doesn't care because it's not the most important thing in the world. And part of me thinks, that, you know, it is a pity that it came so quickly after the World Cup. There's so little room for error. Um, you know, if, if it was a, a group of four, even, mm. you've got a little bit more um, wriggle room for, for sort of one bad result or one bad performance. Um, and it's a pity that France haven't got through to the to the semi-final and sort of made a statement. But at the same time, 2018 has you know, overall been a fantastic year and they've made the best statement possible in winning the World Cup. So um, Nations League semi-final qualification would would only have been a, a bonus to that and you know there's no doubt that they've done the most important bit of this season's work. Mm-hmm. Um in terms of the performance it was absolutely diabolical. You know, it was it was um it was the worst I've seen since um uh, since basically the bad days of, of Rain Dominic, I would say. Um yeah. as you said, Loris was absolutely fantastic. Um, I think he got the Nine saves that were, according to Opta, the record for uh, Equipe de France uh, performance for the last 10 years. Um, yeah, and, and there weren't that many sort of straightforward ones. Um, you know, there's the famous match where I think Tim Howard made in like 14 saves, whatever it was, in the, in the last World Cup. Um, actually, most of them were, were makeable. 
Norris's are quite a few of them were, you know, really decent saves, which, you know, is a testament to him and, and also a sort of condemnation of the rest of the team. Um, and there, there really wasn't that much to, to, to be pleased about. Um, Varane, I think, mostly was okay, but was sort of partly responsible probably for the goal. Um, Zonzi was absolutely awful. Um, I'm just picking out sort of the highlights and lowlights, if you want. Um, Dean has got, I've actually read mixed reviews, and I don't think he was as bad as some people are saying. People say, you know, he's proved he's not international standard. I think it's, it's very harsh. I think there were, um, I'd say, you know, at least six or seven players who are worse than him on the field, frankly. And as ever with French fullbacks, you have to take into account that they're getting absolutely no support around them. And on that point, um, again, you know, Giroud got a bad mark, but he still did his defensive shift. He still pressed. There were a couple of times where you could see him having a go at teammates and say, you know, I've done my press. Now, you know, why aren't you backing it up? Um, and Griezmann was surprisingly poor at that. But at least he came back to, I thought it was fantastic against Uruguay. We'll speak about that in a bit. Um, and Bappe... As usual, I've seen him mostly escape any criticism, but I thought it was a disgraceful performance. Um, I mean, he barely broke into a run, he did nothing to defend, he did nothing up front. Um, I think, yeah, I think he's, he's actually got away with it. When you see how players like um, Dean and Zonzi have been sort of publicly vilified, obviously Mbappe is a different player, and you know, everything I said about France this year could apply to him. You know, so what? He had a good World Cup. But, um, you know, certainly, in terms, considering his attitude and his obsession with the Ballon d'Or recently, um, I'd expect more than, than than he gave the other day. Mm, um, yes, yeah, sorry. Sorry, just looking at you know how this panned out. Obviously, it was the second goal was a very very late injury time penalty from Memphis, but it was in a sense that game would have been survivable. Everybody was saying if Germany won, who were already down, but they were winning. And then watch I was watching that game and it was like, ooh, this could work. And then Germany absolutely collapsed in the second half um, and gave up a two-goal lead to draw with the Netherlands. Obviously, it's Monday. Um, who again got a goal from Promise on 85 and Van Dijk in 91, which was what put the Netherlands through. It's like the Netherlands have been a bit of a laughing stock recently, but seem to have pulled it together and are able to play not just 90 minutes, but 95 minutes very efficiently. And this, it was very unfortunate but it was kind of more gutting because it looked like it was going to be okay anyway and then the Netherlands came back and did Germany in the in the in injury time that's um, it's, it's gutting but you know it's France's fault if they've got the result yeah 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 mm. but it's like you can have a like you were saying it's a three-team group so there's not much wiggle room it, it, it's think actually after that, we might be okay, and then it's snatched away from you at the end. It's like <laughs> I don't um, think um, I don't think anyone I don't think anyone expected Germany to be quite so Spursy um, as I'll put it in that game. 
Um, I mean, they were. I mean, I watched that they game. They were very Spursy. They really were. I mean, they were, the they, second they crumpled. They were almost was... as Spursy as Belgium, although nothing is that bad. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, they, they. I watched that game and they were in complete control. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, Holland were always in the game because Germany's defence was the three centre backs weren't convincing. But they, you know, they contrived to throw that game away. And I suppose that's what France will look at. But I, before I just, I, I do want to touch on one player in a minute which I'll come to you on Phil but I just want to ask uh, I'll ask Connor at this point Connor is this is there an element of um I get a lot of stick for following France obviously being an English person who'd have thought um is there an argument that that sort of France and, and French fans are throwing their hands up and saying well we don't really care we're world champions is that sort of the, the the danger of the arrogance and on that same point from the flip side uh julian Laurence was making this point is it actually a blessing in disguise for the french yeah. players who will now get at rest next summer rather than having to you know okay it's only two games but having to travel all the way to portugal etc etc so is is the arrogance an issue and, and is is actually this tournament a blessing in disguise to miss yeah, well, I think arrogance is always an issue when it comes into, uh, you know, something like this. And like, let's be honest, if you have the choice between being in this uh, semi-finals, finals and not being in it, you probably choose to be in it. Just that competitive edge uh, obviously gives uh, the players something extra to fight for, makes them play a bit better and obviously better experience as well. So, um, yeah, I think it's always, you know, a bit of a shame to miss out. Maybe it's, I think one thing that I've noticed a lot on social media and the like is, every, you know, a lot of England fans saying, oh, this is the best thing since sliced bread, this UEFA Nations League. Um, that's obviously due to the fact that they won their group. I think that it would feel very different uh, had they been relegated, you know, similar to someone like the Republic of Ireland who did they score one goal, I think, and got relegated. So yeah. that's really, you know, when you're doing well, everything seems a lot better. So um uh, obviously, there is. You mentioned the issue of rest. I don't think that would be a massive problem. Yeah, just two games and, and obviously traveling over to Portugal. But I think the experience, um, you know, and the the atmosphere of going over there would have outweighed uh, any kind of negative edge to that. That that's how I see it, really. Good shout, good shout. I think there's a very interesting statistic going around that um, of the I think it's eighty. Four, I want to say, eighty of players that made it in the second stage of the World Cup. I think sixty percent of them have had injuries this season uh, in a World Cup year, which is quite staggering when you when you think about it. Um, the player I wanted to touch on, Phil, before we move past all this Nations League malarkey, um, Furlan Mendy um, mm. was probably of the players who was called up the one to make a bit of a case for himself. Um, he's been very, very good, hasn't he, in, in Liga this season for for Leon, and and has proven that. If given the chance, he he's probably a, a good enough step up for the national team as well. Wonderful, yeah. I mean, he started in the friendly game against Uruguay, which helped France to finish, you know, a, a really good 2018 on a high. I think, you know, the League of Nations thing, whatever. But they finished with a win. Um, and he got his, I think that was his first start. Uh, it was a slightly odd uh, defence with Sacco coming back in given injuries but then Sacco got injured so Kimpembe came on for him in the second half but we also saw Dombele starting uh, that game against Uruguay as well I think it's this is in a sense uh, I agree with what the guys are saying because I think the League of Nations is great for certain nations it's like instead of getting 
kicked to bits in qualifying, you actually get to play against teams you might beat, like Gibraltar won a couple of games. Marvellous. Um, and then got into some difficulties last time. Um, but the, in a sense, it means that there is, if you've got more competitive games, it gives you a little less wiggle room to blood the new guys. But the fact is, the new guys are going to be good anyway. You know, Mendy's playing for OL. They're playing, playing um, Champions League. He's playing, trying to, uh, fighting in Liga. So I think it, it does mean you're going to get fewer of the long shots, maybe, but you are going to still get um, uh, opportunities for younger players who haven't played before. And I think, you know, with Benjamin Mandy, um, you know, injured or needing backup, then that's great because, like I just said, Dean wasn't great, which we've seen for some time now. If we can find a right back cover as well that would be lovely um so yeah it's it's very good that he's come through he had a good game against Uruguay I think and it was it's interesting to to take it forward so what are France going to do in these international breaks before uh the next uh before the the League of Nations semi-finals, they're going to have friendlies. They're going to be able to try some people if Deschamps actually does that and doesn't just stick with what he knows. So that'll we'll be the wait and see. That'll be the question, I guess. Um, and and Jez, uh, I'll come to you on this um, situation with regards to the the, the friendly as well. Um, the Uruguay game, nice to round off a win. Uh, or round off the, the year, I should say, with a win, particularly given the World Cup winning year. Uh, and a nice touch from uh, Antoine to uh, give the penalty to Olivier Giroud, who's obviously had a, a mixed year, I think it's fair to say, or certainly in the crowd's view. Well, sorry, I just, this may be just back from when he was at Montpellier, but when you see Olivier Giroud stepping up for a penalty, I've got the whole thing, that Father Ted thing in my head, you let Dougal do a funeral. <laughs> and fortunately, it worked out okay. But I was quite nervous there for a while because that hasn't gone brilliantly in the past. No, no, it's yeah. true. It's uh, the player brought down gets the penalty, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, yeah, what, what, what did any any sort of thoughts on on that particular friendly jazz or anything that you saw there that was sort of uh, back to reality, uh, if you will? I think it was. I mean, it was quite a low key sort of match. Uruguay. Really, there to shadow the team that, that played France in the quarter finals. Yeah. Um, and uh, as you said, it's, it's really nice to finish with a win. Um, it probably didn't reflect the game. I think France were, were better than a, a you know, 1 0 through a penalty. But um, yeah, it was really nice for, for Giroud to get a goal. I think, as usual, we're probably not the most mutual people here. We, we can hold our colours to the cheering mark hundreds of times before, but I think I know that a centre forward's role is to score goals, and that's the bottom line. But I really do think he has had a, a good year for France. Um, I don't just mean winning World Cup wise, but performances as well. And again, what you see is what you get. And okay, he might have scored as many goals as Mbappe. 
play, but he's always going to do more of a shift to help me out in defence. His hold-up play, um, even against Poland, I thought was very good when he had the ball. Um, and at times, he ha- I think he has been a little bit unlucky. So I thought it was really nice that he, he got the goal. Um, Griezmann giving it to him can be seen in both ways. It could be, um, you know, to get more sort of brand points back on door wise. It could be to avoid this whole weird obsession with Uruguay goal celebration thing. Um, or maybe it was genuinely a very nice gesture. And, and he certainly said it was after the match. Obviously, Deschamps said it was as well. I'd like to think that's true. And you know, I, I think in terms of the sort of high mark performances in the match, I thought Pavard did well, um, which which was good to see him get a little bit more confidence. I thought Ndombele, his, I think it's his first start for France, was fantastic. And you know, I think he's really marked himself out. So, at the very least, the, the first backup to, to Pogba, who was so clearly missed against, against the Netherlands. Um, and I thought, just mentioning before, I really thought Griezmann was fantastic and showed, highlighted again just how good he's been this year and how sort of on the pitch and also I guess with, with that, giving, giving the penalty to Giroud, showing again that he's not only a match winner in his own right, but he really is a property player, and I know I keep saying it, but certain other um, France attackers maybe could, could learn from him a little bit. Um, and I think, as I said before, I think during the knockout stages of the World Cup, I think he was absolutely superb. And I thought yesterday was kind of an image of that, working so hard for the team, not necessarily getting any chances of his own, but um, you know, doing it. Being sort of running, running the game in a way, sort of in charge of all the transitions, being one of the, the first defenders, um, and, and just making the team tick. And I thought it was a really impressive performance on his part. Other than that, I suppose the two centre backs deserve a mention, but I still find it very bizarre that either of them in the squad. Um, Saka a little bit more of an argument, Rami, okay, having a mascot or something, but. I do wonder if it's time. You know, he, he was interviewed after the match and again said, "No, I'm not retiring." But you know, whether it's him or Deschamps that, that instigates it, I do think it's time. You know, it's not like it's a proper position, like right back or something. I think that maybe Ramon stepping aside would be something to do right now. Bring back Debushi, That's what I say. Um, just um, just wrapping up this uh, this friendly con. I just wanted to touch on one other player that will probably be in the headlines um, this week or Ballon d'Or wise. We kind of touched on Kylian Mbappe there. He picked up what looked to be a fairly sore shoulder injury. There's pictures on an Instagram of PSG today of him in training despite being patched up like Mr. Bump. Um, is that after, after missing the second of two extremely yeah, that's that's a fair point. Um, is there uh, is is this the the issue you have, Connor, when you do pick these type of players? I mean, obviously, I'm sure there's rules, whether it be Nike or the Football Federation or the general sponsors that will say, you know, it might be friendlies, but certain players have got to play. But I guess this is the the risk you run when you're playing uh, as Kylian Mbappe is at the highest level. You've got a big match coming up against Liverpool you play a friendly and this, this kind of thing happens. Were you kind of in favour of seeing the stars in friendlies every time or would you be happy to sacrifice the results and see more of your Vala Mendes, for example? 
Um, it's very, I suppose, mixed minds on my side. It's uh, obviously fans are paying good money as well. They do want to see the people who, you know, have, they've been watching on TV the whole year round. Um, so I think it's very right to kind of have uh, your Mbappes playing those kind of games. And I'm sure that Deschamps wouldn't have let him play more than sort of 60 minutes, even if uh, he had uh, sort of continued on. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's definitely worth to get them have a run out. But these international friendlies, uh, as most people know, you know, they don't mean much other than getting experience and kind of working out what's best. So I think it's good to see the likes of Ferlon Mendy. It's good to see Tongi on Dembele getting his first start for the national side. So there should be definitely more of a leaning towards that. Um, I'm sure... Uh, you know, given that he was in training as well, PSG won't mind too much. You know, that what's the point in risking him against Toulouse when uh, obviously there's the big game next week uh, where they could really kind of give themselves a strong foothold in that group. So, um, yeah, well, like I said, I'm sure PSG will, will get over it as long as it's not too serious. But maybe in Brazil, the Brazil manager's more on their mind with uh, with Neymar's injury. Yeah, yeah, that is the that is uh, the subject of this week's debate, which is um, perfectly set up. So we'll. We'll slide into that now. Um, the, the debate I had this week, or wanted to bring bring up uh, probably again, but it's uh, moving the rock to find the stone, if you will. But uh, the, the Neymar debate, um, he got a mixed reception upon arrival in the uh, ground spectra that is Milton Keynes uh, this week for uh, for Brazil's friendly. He was substituted within seven minutes. Um, I'm calling I'm calling BS on this. I think it's PSG's way of saying, oh, you couldn't just go down, maybe just you know a few minutes in and just have a little bit of a sore groin maybe just maybe make Liverpool think otherwise a bit like the whole doing his shoelaces up yeah yeah I'm calling calling uh calling kidders on that one but you never know um but the, the the wider debate still remains is he good for the league is he good for project PSG as it's now become known um Phil, let me start with you. What, what, what's your kind of take on, on how things are? It's what eighteen months in now. He's good. He's good for Project PSG because that's what they wanted. They wanted a big star. They pay lots of money. He is on Instagram, whatever, whatever. Good for the league. Who knows? You can't win, can you? Not, because He's good for yeah. the league in the extent that he gets more eyes, but then people say whatever his achievements are, it's all because he's playing in the Farmers League, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it's just and, so. And he he's really good as a flat track bully, yeah. but he's not actually that good. Um, it's very good in Naples, in, though, wasn't he? In the in the big leagues, mm. in the the big games, but then if he does something brilliant against Toulouse on Saturday, who's going to care? Um, mm. It is a bit of, like you say, a can't-win situation. This is how I kind of felt about uh, Emery <laughs> last season. It's like the man can't win for losing. No. So this is why I think, um, having watched Jez's wonderful performance on CNN International earlier, Mbappe is a more key player than Neymar for PSG now because he has more to him he has more about him he's got i'd say probably more skill and but also more support and so neymar it's going to depend whether he can deal with that or whether the guy who left barcelona because he didn't want to be in Messi's shadow can grow up and deal with the fact that he's now in 
Mbappe's shadow. And that's that's going to be interesting. But it's going to be a personal thing, not a football thing, maybe, yeah. if you see what I mean. Is there, um, Connor, I'll come to you on this one. Is, is there an argument, though, that, that maybe Edinson Cavani is, is, is the, the issue in, in this sort of Neymar and Mbappe triangle as well? Because for all the sort of debate about um, Neymar being in, in his shadow, it's Cavani that seems to be the one who takes the fall every time. He's the one that's substituted if things aren't working. He's the one that's dropped if the front two play. Um, he's billed as the third star. Now, he... <coughs> criticism and believe me I'm one of his biggest critics he has got an incredible amount of goals for PSG and are PSG at risk of of almost sort of milking the maid here and forgetting about the cow because if they let Cavani sort of slip into the background suddenly he decides you know what I'd actually quite like to end my career back in Naples he goes suddenly they're left with true promoting I mean, is, is that the risk that PSG are facing by basically working the whole front line around what uh, what Neymar and, and Mbappe want? Um, I suppose so. I mean, there's been a lot in recent days about, uh, you know, the, the classic Cavani-Neymar rift, which, of course, was not helped by Danny Elvis when he was uh, in Paris last year. Um, but I, I don't know, he seems to be quite a humble guy who just enjoys his footballers. I'm not sure if any of you read his Players' Tribune piece um, I think it came out must have been about a year ago or so but it's just a man it just reflects that he just loves the game so I think playing time would be something that he's very concerned about and with his goal scoring record it's really hard to you know justify leaving him out at any point you know additionally there's the point that um, I'm sure you will have seen that the passing statistics between the front three it's very rare that Cavani ever receives any service from either two uh, I think when he scored that hat-trick um, the, the other week, there, two of them were assisted by Diaby. Uh, so nothing to do with the other the other front three members, really, uh, Neymar and Mbappe when they're around. So I think he's playing a bit of a lone wolf. He seems to be happy enough for now as long as he's getting game time. I don't see any reason to get rid of him. He, he fits it quite well. And as long as he's scoring goals, you know, no reason to really get rid of him. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And Rich, in, in, uh, Rich, yes. It's, it's been a while. I've done so well. It's because I was reading a tweet from Rich as I spoke to you then. That was my mistake. Um, Jez, is there, is there a happy, is there any way that this, that this relationship, this marriage, if you will, ends happily? I mean, there's, there's so many, uh, as you'd say, upsides, uh, but there's also this kind of looming downside, you know, what if Real Madrid want a marquee signing? What if Barcelona decide that they don't want Dembele and they you know, decide to go back to Neymar? Um, is there any way that, that this ends happily for, for Neymar and for PSG? Uh, yeah, I think there's, there's a few ways it could. But, um, I'm actually <clears throat> slightly, apart from the everything that Connor just said about how um, Cavani's being left in the cold, um, I thought you know, two of the more fun things this, this uh, international break is firstly the, the Cavani foul on Neymar. <laughs> um, I reckon he's had this rings on his on his calendar. That's been brewing for a while, hasn't yeah. it? Yes, free kick gate. Secondly, at half time, or just as as they're waiting for the for the whistle to kick off the second half, of France, Uruguay, and Cavani and Matuidi were all joking around and having a laugh, and I was thinking probably reading too much into it, but. I don't remember Cavani looking that happy, surrounded, or 
know, in the company of anyone involved in PSG for a while. And, you know, it's sort of, he lost a lot of his sort of Spanish mates in the changing room during the summer. Matt Eden's another the sort of old guard. And, you know, I do wonder whether he's feeling it um, very lonely at the moment. But just in, in terms of Neymar, I, I actually think that he's knuckled down a little bit this season. I think last year he was much more of a diva. Um, and I do think all of that is to do with Mbappe. Um, think, you know, him thinking, I really do need to... And also, you know, the, the, the criticisms that he got in general during the World Cup, which I think we deserve um, in terms of standards, play, his selfishness, his diving, all, all of it. I think he's coming to realise that he needs to sort himself out a little bit um, in order to stay, not even the main man, but one of them, make sure that he's marketable, make sure he's popular, I'm sure he still does want to be loved, um, despite the <laughs> appearances to the contrary. Um, but all that said, I, I just don't think that PSG need both Mbappe and Neymar. Um, obviously, they're both superb. Obviously, the fact that they're both match winners mean that they can play as badly as, as they do at times against like Liverpool or Napoli in the first match, for example. And, you know, there's always a chance that one of them will come up with some kind of piece of magic. But just for the whole squad dynamic, I just don't think that overall it helps them. I think they're two big egos. I think, however much they look all matey matey, I think at some point there's going to be some kind of clash or jealousy. I think the way they play, although they play very well together, I do think it takes away from Cavani. As long as Cavani playing, you know, being fielded, that's an issue because you're effectively playing with, with 10 men. Um, I think players like Draxler and Di Maria step up more if one of them is missing as well. And so I, I just don't think, and obviously in terms of, I know it's too late now, but in terms of FFP and salaries and all that kind of thing, I think we've discussed a lot of times PSG's hands from themselves by, by spending so much on those two. So overall, I just don't think they're both needed. And if you're only going to keep one, I just think there's absolutely no doubt that it should be in Yeah. But as long as Neymar is knuckling down a little bit more, even if it's because he's angling for a move in the summer, then that should be to PSG's advantage. And whether he stays or he goes, if he's going to go, it's going to be for a lot of money, wherever it is. So, you know, if, he, if he's not that happy there, presumably he'll be happy to go back to Barcelona or even to Real Madrid, and PSG will presumably be, be happy to, to bring in some money and be able to spend it on, on someone or some, or some more than one else. Um, so I, there are ways for it to end different ways for it to end happily. But I just think it's a messy situation that PSG should never have got themselves into. And I certainly think that Neymar is for various reasons, mainly in bad favor. So I just don't think he's found it as easy as he thought he would do. I think he's probably regretting it. Yeah. And the bottom line is, you know, there's still a little bit too. Emery as well. You said this so many times, rightly or wrongly, PSG season rests on two or three matches per season. Um, Neymar didn't, well, didn't turn up in the first leg against Real Madrid, didn't play in the second, which isn't his fault last year. Um, he, had, he didn't turn up against Liverpool, 
yeah, he played well the second half of the second match against Napoli. But again, these are these are the big matches. Frankly, even the very big matches in, in Ligue 1, I'm not sure this has turned up that often. Um, and, uh, you know, it, 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 obviously if he misses Liverpool match this time, it's not his fault. But again, it's just that it's the important match of the season so far. And, um, it looks like there's a good chance that he won't be there to, to earn his sort of 200 million's worth fee by, by helping PSG through. Mm. So it just, it, it seems a bit of a sort of, it's crazy to say so looking at Neymar's figures, his statistics, but I just, I don't think it's been a successful signing. No, there's, there's there's so many falls and against, and I just wonder if the player himself is almost as responsible as anybody for that sort of not working out in just his style of play. And there's so many good things about him, but there's so many things that you can sort of easily dislike as well. It's a hard one. Um, one thing I will just just sort of uh, draw a line under this debate with it's probably more an Mbappe thing than the Neymar thing, but the uh, the Golden Boy Awards. Um, uh, I'd just like to confirm are officially a joke. Uh, Mbappe left off the list. Uh, however, Liverpool's Alexander-Arnold was on it. Um, so I think that uh, rests my case on that sure. particular... I, I think I read something, uh, I'm not sure if this is actually true, but somebody said that if you've won it, you can't be nominated for the final five again, but mm. he was in the larger list. So I don't know if that is actually real, but that's what I read. It's it's possible, I guess. Um, I would argue that there are 10 better players in Liga than Alexander-Arnold anyway that could have been nominated for that particular award. But hey, that's just me because I'm biased. But um, yeah, maybe that is the case. And if, if so, then I'll slightly take that back. Um, <laughs> nevertheless, I still think the award's a bit of a joke, as indeed to a degree as the Ballon d'Or has been. But hey-ho, it's run by FIFA. What do you expect? Um Right. Okay. So, a uh, good debate. Interesting that one. We shall see where the uh, the Neymar dream or nightmare ends, whichever side of the coin you fall on. But uh, we will wrap up this week by obviously talking about the weekend's return to Liga action. Uh, we'll start with. Um, there's a couple of games. I just want to pick out. I want to start with the Friday game, which is the uh, the Derby de Rhone, which is Lyon versus Saint Etienne. Um, Literal fireworks. Yes, uh, we all remember what meaning shirts held out. Devices. Yeah, <laughs> five nil to Leon uh, last season, and uh, Fakir causing all sorts of uh, drama uh, with his shirt <laughs> aloft. Um, that was brilliant. Though. It was. <laughs> Do you see a, a similar result in this one, Phil? Because Janessi is getting a lot of stick at the moment. Yeah. Well, yeah, but Genesia was getting a lot of stick last year. Stop. Yeah, true. Frankly, um, it's but Saint-Étienne are in a good place here mm. as well. I think this is going to be as fiery, less one-sided, but yeah, there will probably probably be a, a fight. Um, <laughs> incendiary devices in the stands, possibly in LFP. Um, you know, sanction fines. Etc. Etc. But I think this There's will no be no. Of course, they're yeah. banned, aren't they? There will still be fire in the stands, though. Yes, we know. <laughs> we know that for pretty Certainly sure. Pre-game as well. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, if you're in on Friday night, get the beers in, get some biscuits, and this <laughs> this will be good fun. I think because apart from anything else, we saw. You know, Memphis doing the whole last-minute thing against France. You know, you can't 
when we can battle over in a new role. We've got one of that. It, no, it, it'll be fun. It'll be, it'll be chaotic, I think, but a, a really good Friday night game. And, and possibly, as we've discussed, quite edgy. Yes. I, I can't make up my mind on Memphis. Um, I keep, I keep flipping and flopping every week, whether I like him or I don't like him, whether he's good, whether he's not. Well, good. so does he. Frankly. Yeah, that's no. true. I, mean, I, that don't freak think is, uh, I don't think he's in any doubt that he likes him. I think he likes him quite a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, that free kick against Gangon worth um, mentioning uh, since I haven't potted since. But um, yeah, we shall see where, where that one goes. Um, on the uh, fixtures, the other fixtures are notable this week, um, Rich, we should mention that uh, we, we don't call it Thierry Henry's Monaco anymore. We call it's it... It's Rich me or something. Uh, yeah. Sorry. This or is, this, me, indeed. The, the, this, one, this one for Jazz. Um, we have to now call them uh, poor old Thierry Henry's Monaco. I think that's what we're going to call it. <laughs> um, I know it sounds a bit silly to say this after what? Is this his this, this fifth game now? But is this must win against Khan on Saturday? It must win for about five weeks. <laughs> it's, it's as close as it gets because it's, it's against one of the other relegation rivals and you know it cuts them a little bit further adrift if they lose but it's really difficult to have a fair view of them because they've got something like 16 players injured and okay they've got a big squad and okay some of them are real youngsters and it's hard to say their first season anyway but that's it's a hell of a difficult job that the orange got and that the team's got to, to function anything near their depth yeah, but a couple a couple of weeks ago, nobody was injured and they still fucked up. Still we were saying, you know, good players have suddenly become shit. Like Camille well, Pick has become bad. Well, they sold. How, the, how they, did that happen? They sold the wrong players. Um, mm-hmm. You know, obviously, the right players for, for a lot of money, but there were certain players that should have been shifted it was the time to shift them and they didn't um but they had they have had some injuries to contend with all season um and I, you know i don't think Arnie is functioning in the, in the best circumstances i'm not saying that he's done everything correctly since he's been there so i actually have been disappointed in a couple of things but um I, they're still not a bottom two team and but the table doesn't being, They're being a little bit handicapped by by the players that they've got available. Mm. And you and you really don't want to be turning to uh, kids who are seventeen. In one case, is it sixteen? I think the debutant was it McKengo. You really don't want to be turning to players of that age in this sort of dogfight, do you? You know, you want to be turning to your Falcals, your your Glicks, your, you know, even the Golovins, you know, people who experience at the highest level, not... Aren't they it's... all fit, though? Well, this is the problem, um, and, and this is where there is no, you know, there is no way around the problem. You've got to play what you've got, but you can only hope that Henri can inspire them, um, and there has been a lot of criticism about Jeremy's mannerisms on the touchline and my argument to that is well you knew who you were employing I mean you know he turned up in a tracksuit and a suit jacket do you know what I mean <laughs> I don't have issues with mannerisms the only issue that, that the main issue I've got with him is that um, 
post the last match, he came out with two comments. One of them was, um, I think he said something about Falcao. He was like, <coughs> Falcao missed a half decent chance. And he said something like, I can see what he was trying to do, but that wasn't the intelligent thing to do in that situation. Yeah. That's not what I would have done. And yeah. then, <coughs> in, in response to the thing about the injuries, <coughs> he made some comment about, you know, maybe I should apply to get my, my playing license back. And <laughs> that was the problem, yeah. it was probably a passing comment, but when he got the job and he kept being asked about his playing career and his history at Monaco, he made such a fuss about, you know, this isn't about me and it's not about the player that I was and I'm a new manager and it's just about me being a manager. Mm. And I, there's little comments like that possibly suggest that he is still kind of judging people by his playing standards and and I just think it's not necessarily helping any of the players, even players as experienced as Falcao, to to be to be making comments like that. Mm. And and I do wonder, I mean we've got to take into consideration uh, you know, it took Patrick Vieira what, six, seven weeks to adjust to Nice. Um, you know, it's 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 not gonna happen overnight, is it? But I think well, one thing I don't think Desch- I don't think Deschamps won any of his first Six matches, maybe even more, because yeah. manager. So that's not a bad precedent. Mm. I think but, I think the key will be the Christmas period, isn't it? Before you know, before we wrap up that Christmas period, that's going to be the period of time where we really need to see what they're made of, because the, there is no such thing as too good to go down. As West Ham fans, um, you know, as Monaco fans, come to that. But um, yeah, and, and and of course, the issue with their ownership is is going to rumble on as well in terms of what's gone on there so um can't think, probably um, the ideal opp- opportunity really with the you know the the nice situation um sunday early afternoon we don't want to look at the big the inverted commas big match of amiens versus marseille i'm so, gonna ask connor about that one so you can have the others yeah marseille is playing but, on sunday night i know it's really yeah, surprising. yeah. <laughs> Um, but early afternoon, it's Montpellier playing Rennes and Nice are playing Lille. So that's, yeah. you know, obviously Montpellier third, Lille second. That's going to be an interesting one because after last time when uh, Lille drew nil-nil against Strasbourg and then Montpellier screwed up the chance to go back back in second by losing away at uh, Angers. Uh, those two games early on Sunday are going to be very interesting for how the the top podium positions pan out. So I think mm. both of those um, are going to be an interesting watch before we get to ta 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 ta. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Sunday say. evening. I'll I'll be a book club. I won't care. I won't. Well, th- this is what I wanted to bring up with this one, um, Connor, with yourself is. Marseille, I mean, obviously, there's. I think there's talk that Rudy Garcia is, is potentially looking at, at signing a new deal now. Um, I can't, I'd be intrigued to get your view. I can't work Marseille out. Sometimes I watch them and I think, yeah, there is a team there. Sure, they need a centre forward. We know that. But there is semblance of good players. You know, Samson, I, I like a lot. Gustavo is a quality holding midfielder when he's played in the right position. Um, you know, Rami, okay, fine. Uh, the fullbacks, particularly Bunasar, there is quality in that side but then I watch them against for example Lazio and I think what what's going on here should there be more pressure on uh, on Rudy on Rudy, Rudy Garcia and, and will there be if they don't get the result against Samian which let's be honest is one of those banana skin away away games to face on a Sunday night 
there definitely should be a bit more pressure in the sense that obviously the, the performances have not been great as of late. I think the thing that has irked Marseille fans the most is actually his comments. Mm. Uh, obviously, post the PSG game, um, there was that, you know, that um, the Strootman foul that Marquinhos ran into him, which uh, stopped a perfectly good goal. But um, more to the point is that, um, you know, Garcia said after the game, oh, well, we matched them in the first half. Uh, and that's what we can do is, well, you don't want to match PSG. Obviously, they're streets ahead, but that's not what you want to say to the Marseille faithful. They don't want to hear that they're, oh, we matched the, the best team in the country for 45 minutes and then they were better than us. That's really not the right kind of words to use. There's definitely a better way of going about that. Um, I mean, as for the performances, it's kind of the same as, as last season, really. If, if a flat track bully was a team, it would be Marseille. They just, they'll probably beat Amiens 1-0 uh, yeah. and then they'll go and lose, you know, like three or four nil next time they end up against the top six side. That's just, it, it's kind of tiresome that they win all their home games against small teams. They'll win most of their away games against small teams and they'll just capitulate when it comes to anyone who's half decent. Reggie so, Skirtner will have a great game on <laughs> That's what I'm we're certain. saying, basically. <laughs> they, they look like a club to me that if you had genuine, uh, I say investment, they've had investment, but if you, they're such a, they're set up, everything's there, you know, the fan base, the stadium, the history, but then they've got Metroglou. <laughs> you know, I just sort of mm. think, oh, it's just your mouth and playing a campus yep. up front is <laughs> an emergency. I mean, that's, that's an emergency. Yeah. What do you want to ask? I'll ask Connor a couple of questions. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> the first one is, is there any pool whatsoever for um, Jama and Metroglou to be played together? Because I still think that they could be really effective as a pair. But, but neither of them have played to their strengths when they play by themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I've personally not seen any calls for that. It's, it, I mean, Marseille fans can be quite, uh, how do you put it, um, polarised in the sense that it's either very good or it's very bad. And I think either name appearing on the team sheet is often seen as very bad. Um, <laughs> I can't remember who it was against. It might have been in the Europa League. Um, Mitroglou's miss from about two, three yards out really doesn't help his case. Um, I'd actually be interested in asking you, Jez, what, why do you think they'd work together as a, as a pair? Because I think Mitroglou's not very mobile. I think Surely he's not, Jez. best in the middle, <laughs> but he's not that mobile. And Jama isn't a, a target man. Yeah. So I think having him a little bit like a sort of, I guess, Giroud-Griezmann combination for France, but I think he could provide that sort of focal point. And Jamal, I think, is a very intelligent player to kind of play around him, create space, create chances for him. Um, the problem he is he's still not Griezmann in, in a situation where you've got Payet and Toval kicking that's, around. That's, that's the thing I think it's where you fit them in, yeah. And that's what's frustrating, isn't it? Like, you know, you've got two players of that quality, you know, whatever you think of Dimitri Payet and, um, and, and indeed Tovan, who, let's be fair, can blow hot and cold. But when he's hot, he's, he's very hot. You've got two quality, uh, you know, attacking and creative players. As I say, Sanson for me is, is horribly underrated. And you just don't have that outlet. And I just think that I don't know whether the loan market is something they could look at, whether they could replicate what Dortmund have done with a, a Sancho, for example. You know, if they've got a youngster out of a, 
a league and sort of said, you know, just put faith in him and stuck him up front and said, right, you know, we're going to give you 10 games. Because I don't, I don't really see a striker in, in Liga that would be available that would be willing, the club who have them would be willing to sell to Marseille. Mm. Um, and have they even got, I mean, have they got the finance to do anything, Connor, in that respect, if, if they had the opportunity? Um, I'm not certain, to be honest. Uh, I mean, they even played a Campos up front um, yeah. in the middle one game, yeah. which he actually looked <laughs> good. I think it's more, you know, the classic Campos where he's stumbling and somehow right. hurdling his way over the line and looking threatening. But um, I, I don't know what the solution is. It, I, I do feel a bit cruel to kind of dismiss um, both current strikers, you know, Germain and, and um, Mitroglou out of hand. But that the more you watch them, I think there is kind of a change needed in terms of, uh, you know, morale up front. Like Mitroglou does miss too many good chances. Germain could definitely have another go, I think. But it's, yeah, it's hard to see, you know, how it goes on from there, really. I think it's, it's very much that you, you're not blaming the actual players. Germain, Mitroglou and Ocampos as well. You can tell they're trying. They're trying really hard. It's just something about the system and the roles they're playing that isn't working. So mm. it's not it's not like we've got players who aren't giving a shit. It's it's a system that just isn't set up in the right way. Mm. And that does mean to me you need new players. That yeah. doesn't mean the other players are bad players. It means they're not being used right this isn't the right setup for them and I think that's kind of a key thing because like a lot of the stuff about a campus is a lot of people are saying you know oh god he's terrible but nobody ever says he's not trying Mm -hmm. you know you can tell the guy really really wants to do well it just doesn't work out necessarily Mm -hmm. and that's possibly because he's not being played where would suit him or he's just not that level of player it's not actually his fault Hmm. somebody at the club needs to look at this and go right who do we need to buy where do we need to put them that's his agent somebody pay some money yeah (laughs) (laughs) somebody's buying connor off us so that kind of is connected to my second question which is that you know, there's there's certain players like a Campos who I don't think are very good, but they do try hard. And then obviously the the, the two the two of the three very classed players within the team supposedly are Payet and Tovan. Um and you mentioned how Marseille are sort of um the sort of oh, flat track bullies basically. Do you, how do how do you and Marseille fans in general? I know it's, they generally like it, but is there any talk about actually those two are, are the real flat trappers out there? Because they're the ones that really seem—they're the ones that you expect to to be able to step up and win the big games. But they're the ones that are you know look particularly good against the bad teams and go particularly missing against the good teams. Yeah, I think Tovan in particular is a, a a real victim of this as you know, kind of everyone is aware about how his scoring record. It was just that um that one game where he managed to score against the, the kind of t- other top three sides, was it against PSG uh way back when? Um but other than that, really kind of gone disappearing. I think Payet is probably more forgivable. He does, you know, e- even if he's not 
kind of uh, having an impactful game in front of goal. He tends to you know, still have good deliveries, etc. Whereas Turvan, when he's missing, he is really missing. You could forget he's on the pitch sometimes. Um, whereas Payet, I think maybe it's just because of set pieces, to be honest, but um, maybe he has that kind of extra element that makes him a bit more visible. But, you know, there's a real, even though they've got one of the oldest teams in the league, there's kind of a lack of, you know, big characters and big leaders when the time comes. Someone like Rami can shout and scream all he wants, but he's been at, Fort, especially the Monaco game when he was at Fort for the two goals conceded, nearly threw the game away. You'd expect that from somebody who's making their first appearance, someone like Kamara. But uh, alas, it's the, the most experienced centre-half who's probably the most irresponsible in that sense. Just not enough kind of big game players in that team, really. Yeah, it's, it's I've one heard of the... a few people say, like Marseille fans, say about Tottenham, but actually, often he doesn't play well. But often he'll score a goal or a very good goal that sort of hides what genuinely is a poor performance. Mm. Yeah, yeah, covers it up almost. Yeah, and I, th- I guess it sums up perfectly when we say, you know, like a Campos, uh, he tries hard, but he's just not good enough. This is Marseille we're talking about. You know, this isn't uh, Charlton. You know, it, it it really is uh, amazing how the the mighty have fallen, so to speak. But um, hey ho, that's uh, that's probably a debate for another day if we could indeed debate it any further. We will um, just quickly uh, note the other games this week uh, before we wrap up. We have PSG to lose as the early game on the Saturday. Uh, PSG obviously in Champions League action next week, so they get the early game. We've got Dijon against Bordeaux, Nantes against Angers, Ram Gangon, Strasbourg against Nîmes. They are the evening games on the Saturday. On the Sunday, we've obviously covered the uh, game with Marseille, and as Phil mentioned, Nice Lille and Montpellier against Rennes. Uh, any of those other games uh, that we'd be keeping an eye on for any particular reasons, Chums? I, I've, I think Saturday evening, uh, Strasbourg and Nîmes yeah. will be mm. will be my choice on the grounds that that could be chaos, enjoyable chaos. Uh, Strasbourg still with one of the best conversion rates in the league. Nîmes with one of the most energetic attacks in the league. Uh, so of the uh, five multiplex games, I think that that's going to be a, a fun watch. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I should be keeping a keeping an eye and uh, probably have a little eye on PSG's game as well, just to see if the. I don't expect Mbappe or Neymar to be risked, but it'd be interesting to see if either of them are even uh, a presence in and around the squad that day. Um, me suspects not, but we shall see. Um, okay. Any? Do we have any uh, any mailbag to address this week, Phil? Anything? Uh, possibly, but it's not open. Let's ah. leave that for next week. Let's leave that for next week. We have gone a bit. Many of the questions were about Monaco. What the fuck? So <laughs> I'm sure we'll come back to that at some point after they've lost eight nil to Khan on Saturday. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, possibly. good times. Possibly. Okay. Super. Well, uh, you can uh, check us out uh, on Twitter, which is, of course, where you send your questions to us and we'll ignore them uh, next week. Uh, No, we won't really. (laughs) Of course, I joke. But if you have got a question for us, uh, send it in to the mailbag. We'll get to that. Uh, We've got an article out, which I believe is written by yourself, Connor, which is live at the moment as well. Um, so we've got that one to have a look at and uh, yes lots of action to uh, to keep an eye on of course next week we will be running down the weekend's action as well as having a look at what's gone on or previewing I should say the Champions League action is it match day? It's match day 5 isn't it next week so the yes. penultimate rounds uh, very much key for the French clubs other than those who um, 
well, I've already gone out. Let's put it that way. Uh, right. <laughs> I'll ignore that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll keep quiet on that one. Vava doom. Indeed. Nicely put. So uh, until next week, just remains for me to thank my panels. Thank you very much. For, thank you very much, Phil. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Connor. Thank you, Chris. And thank you very much, Jez. No problem, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know I, was, I was just about to say thank you to Rich for not being here there you go on my thunder uh, we'll be back next week uh, thank you very much for listening as always uh, keep your feedback coming in and we'll speak to you very soon enjoy your weekends French football